much, God, for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you, Father, for being the solid rock, God, that we can set our foundation on. Lord, there is no other foundation but Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray that this morning, God, that your word would convict us, Father, your word would encourage us. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would leave here, God, in a way that's transforming. Lord, that we would leave here the same, God, that we have a higher view of you, Lord, and a higher view on what you've done for us. God, so I just thank you so much for this time and just this opportunity to come together. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe these things. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, you might have to bear with us a little bit. Having some technical difficulties. Um, so we've got the wired mic instead of the wireless because we lost our button on our gadget. So um, my name is Luke, for those of you guys who don't know me, and appreciate you guys taking the time to visit us here at ESIS. And our clicker's working, so that's one thing um, that's working this morning, so that's good. It's good. So we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. Um, Johnny is off with the churches, church church this morning, and Rick is in spring, so I get to be with you guys here this morning. We're going to continue in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. So I'm just going to start off by reading these, and we'll jump into a little introduction. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as we read this scripture, I want to start out with this statement that says, God has chosen us to accomplish his will through us according to what he has deposited in us. So we're going to kind of come back to this statement. I want you guys to kind of chew on this as we go through this scripture. And what, what we're getting at with this is, I don't know how many times you guys have maybe been in prayer or been in a situation where you're just waiting on God to do something. You're just waiting on something to happen. But very few times in the scripture did God just snap his fingers and something crazy happened. Now, over and over and over, he raised up people to accomplish what his will was. And so we look at um, Abraham, that God wanted to create a, a nation that would represent who he was. And so what did he do? He raised up Abraham. He raised up Abraham and Sarah, who were too old to have children, but yet he accomplished, accomplished his will through them. Second thing we can see right away in the Old Testament is Moses. God wants to free Israel from the Egyptians. What does he do? He raises up Moses, who doesn't want to go, doesn't think there's any way he can do what God has asked him to do. Yet he raises up Moses, raises up Aaron, sends them to Egypt, and they free um, Israel from the Egyptians. And finally, a great example of the New Testament are the apostles. We got 11 um, fishermen and tax collectors that God says he wants to make disciples of all nations. So what does he do? He doesn't just snap his finger and make a bunch of people disciples of Christ, but instead he commissions these 11 guys to go out through the world um, to accomplish what he had set from the foundation of the world to do. And so with that being said, we look at this scripture, and, and verse 20 a lot of times is that scripture that's in our kitchen or on top of our door. God who was able to do way beyond what we could ever think or imagine. It's so encouraging. But we leave out that last little part that says the power that works in us. It doesn't just say he is able, but he's able according to the power that he works in us. And so according to that statement that we got here in this scripture, I got two questions for us today that aren't broad questions, but, whoops, we will talk about this, but not yet. Uh, but two questions that are specific to us this morning, not broad, but specific to you. Do you know what he wants to do? It says he's able. What is he able to do? What is he doing? We got to know this. What, do you know what he wants to do? And the second thing, do you know what he has deposited in you individually? 
Because if he's going to do his work through us, according to what he's deposited in us, we've got to know what the work is, and we've got to know what he has deposited in us. And for example, now we can talk about the Super Bowl. I don't know if we got football fans this morning, but I'm a big Chicago Bears fan. And so if you've got your favorite NFL team, and just imagine for a second you guys get to go to training camp, and you're in that first meeting with this um, NFL football team. They all get in. You're pumped. You're pumped to hear the vision of the team. You're pumped to hear what they're going to do, how excited they are for the season, what the game plan is, all this stuff. And the coach brings them in. He says, all right, guys, what are we here to do? And half the team says, well, you know, I kind of like this hobby. I like playing football, so I thought I'd show up this year. Some people said, well, I really didn't have anything better to do, so I just thought I'd come to training camp. And the other half said, man, I really don't even know why we're here. If you're sitting there as this fan who's pumped about your favorite team, that would be pretty disappointing to hear, right? Because you want to go in there and then say, we're here to win a Super Bowl, or at least win a couple games, or at least be a professional football team. But if you got there and nobody knew why they were there or what they were doing, that would be pretty discouraging, right? As, as a fan to know, man, our team has no chance because they don't even know why they're here. The second thing, if the coach said, well, if you don't know why you're here, at least what's your position? What, what skill set do you bring to the table? And your favorite quarterback on the team said, well, I think I should be the center this year. I think that's, that's what my position should be. And the center saying, I think I should be the linebacker. The linebacker saying, I think I should be the running back. You'd be like pulling your hair out, saying this is a disaster. Nobody knows why they're here, and nobody knows the skill set that's in them that they're supposed to bring to the table. Now, as frustrating as that can be from a sports aspect, I really want to go back to these two questions for us. If we as the church are supposed to come together to execute the will of God, do we know what the game plan is? Do we know why we're here? Do we know why God has put us on this earth together for his purpose? And if we know why we're here... Do we know what skill set we have? Do we know what position we would play in the body of Christ to come together to execute what God has for us? Because if we don't know his will, if we don't know what he's doing, and if we don't know what he's putting us, we're in big problems, just like the football team would be at training camp. And we don't say these questions as some deep revelation we've got to necessarily search for. It's right here in the Word. And the revelation of God and what he's doing and what he's put us in us is in his Word and is revealed by his Spirit. And we will get to this um, later in, in chapter 4 and mainly chapter 4, 11 through 16. But just want to give three broad things that as we look at this, what is God doing and what has he put in us? How do we know these things? And, and number one is by revelation. We can't just get it from podcasts. We can't just get it from listening to me speak here on Sunday mornings or joining anybody else. You need to get revelation from God. And he's made that possible by his word and by his spirit. Jesus says those who worship me must worship in spirit and truth. We can read the Bible just like we would a history book. You can. You can get up a bunch of facts and know a bunch of stuff. But if the spirit of God does not reveal what the word of God is saying, it's no different than a history book. But by the word of God and by the spirit of God, he can convict us and reveal to us what he's doing and what he's put in us. And that is way more encouraging than knowing some facts. I don't know if you guys have ever known something but then experienced it and said, man, that review or whatever that person told me was not right. Because now that I've experienced it, this isn't true. But with God, it's the exact opposite. The more we know of him and then we experience it in revelation and obedience, it's better than we could ever think or imagine, which is what 
the scripture is saying. But once we start to have revelation, the second thing is equipping. We need discipleship. Just like on the sports team, if you know why you're there, you know your skill set. There's a lot of things you need to do to continue to improve what you are as an athlete. I'm in the same way as the church. We kind of, we may have these revelations, but we need to be continually deepened by the equipping and discipleship we receive from the body. And third is the work of service. We've got to step towards what God's doing. If he reveals it to us, we can't just stay on the bench. We've got to get in the game and start to step towards what he is showing. So we will get into that more in chapter four. I don't want to skip too far ahead. But the great thing about knowing what God's doing and knowing what he's putting us it leads to a lifetime of knowing him. This is the whole point. The whole point is to know God. And through his revelation of what he's doing and revealing what's in us as we step towards his work and step towards his heart, it leads to a lifetime of growing in him. I don't know if anybody um, has been in that, that moment in their spiritual walk where things are just hard or um, things are dry. It, nobody enjoys a believer being in that position. Nobody enjoys the struggle of, of times when we may have been lukewarm. But yet in revelation and in stepping towards what God loves, he'll continually, and for our lifetime, he will never stop sanctifying us and never stop meeting us where we are at. So as we look at the questions, look at the Super Bowl, I want to go back to this scripture, read this again, and see if this brings um, any light to kind of the scripture we already read just going through this um, intro. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And we see right away that God, he's able. He's able to do something. We've got to know what he's doing. And he's going to do this according to what he has put in us to do. So the first question then is, what is God able to do? And we've got to know that, man, our God is able. And if we look at Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, this is Jesus speaking what he came to do. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty of the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set, a liberty, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you guys know anybody who's brokenhearted, who's a captive, who's blind, who's oppressed. But these things are realities in our life. And I, I believe so oftentimes we're looking for God to bring little, small improvements. But this is what God's in the business of doing. And there's so many times we're trying to get a little bit better, just scraping by. But the reality, coming back to what God does, this is what he does. And how many of us need this in a situation right now in our lives? There's situa situations that are so dead. There are people that we know that are oppressed. They're so held down by things in the world. They're brokenhearted by, by failures of people around them. They're held captive by the things that may be addictions or whatever's in their life. And the only thing that can break through that is Jesus Christ. And when we look at this scripture in Ephesians, he says, As exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. More than you could ever think or more than you could ever pray is what he's willing to do. And these are the things that Jesus Christ came to do while he was on earth in the same way of the body of Christ we are called to fulfill. In Romans 4, 17, the second half of the verse, it says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I don't know if anybody here has a situation personally in their life or somebody who, who's around them where it's dead. There, there, you look at that situation, there's no life in it. 
There's, there's no way this could get better. There's no way we could move on. But yet, this is the thing that Jesus specializes in, is to give life to things that are dead. They have no hope. There's nothing that could be good that get pulled out of that. But yet, that's what God is saying he's willing to do. But as we go forward into this, this scripture, we're seeing that it's not just him snapping his fingers, but it's him doing the work in you and through you. If you've been around Johnny or Vicky at all in the last two months, the, the, the phrase I keep hearing them say is, prayer doesn't always change things, but prayer changes you, and God uses you to change things. And in the same way, we don't just look at these situations and just hope with a little bit of a wishing that God can make this better. But if Jesus Christ actually shows up, that's what will happen. But if it's us and our effort and just in our trying and just in our wishing, things can't go from death to life. But God is in the business of bringing things that are dead and making them alive and bringing things that do not exist and um, acting as, as though they did. The last scripture, um, personally, that's been convicting to me lately, and I've been on, if you've been around me at all, is Lazarus. And I was thinking about Lazarus and how this guy's sick and he's dying. And he sends word to Jesus that he's sick and that he's dying. And Lazarus has seen Jesus do miracles. He's seen G Jesus do a lot of things. And so Lazarus knows this miracle worker guy, that's his friend, knows that he's sick and knows that he's dying. But Lazarus died. And I don't know about you guys, but it would be kind of a um, hopeless thing to know Jesus knew you were sick and knew, that, and, and knew that you had sent word to him, but he never came. And I think the thing that we forget about this miracle is the pain that Lazarus and his friends and family had to go through watching this guy die. But then Jesus shows up, and they're thinking, if you would have been here three days earlier, none of this would have happened. And you knew. And why couldn't you have gotten here three days earlier? And not only that, but they're thinking, even if you would have gotten here yesterday, he wouldn't have been as dead as he is today. But now his body's rotting. There's no way he's getting out of this tomb. And, and why, Jesus, could you have not come? And all Jesus says is, and I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And yeah. Jesus goes to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out. And see, today, Jesus Christ wants to do the same thing today as he was then. There are situations I know in my life right now that are so dead. And they look like, how could this ever turn good? How could Lazarus being dead for three days ever turn out to be alive? It's impossible. But this aspect of he who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, is found in these scriptures of Jesus bringing things from death to life. So the second question then that we have coming back is, do you know what he's deposited in you? Because I don't know what's in me that can bring dead things to life. There's nothing, really, unless it's been deposited there by God. And so what has he deposited to us to make us overcomers and to make us partakers in what he is doing? I want to look at, look at um, Romans 11. He says... But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When was the last time you took at least 10 minutes and just prayed and asked God what it really means that the spirit of, that raised Christ from the dead lives in us? You know, Paul says in Colossians 1 that that's the hope of glory. It's a mystery that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that was on the the um, breath of the waters at the creation of time, that he's the guy who raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit lives in us. And how oftentimes do we live or believe or are encouraged 
by that. The same spirit that gave life to Christ after he'd been beaten, after he'd been crucified, after he'd been dead for a few days, that same spirit that lifted him out of the grave is the same spirit that lives in us. And I, I guarantee everybody in this room has heard that before, but when was the last time you really took the time to sit just for like 10 minutes, maybe 20, maybe an hour, and really contemplated and asked God for assurance and revelation that the spirit of the living God lives inside of us. Because when that's true, this aspect of him using us doesn't seem so crazy. The aspect of him using us to bring life to dead situations doesn't seem that far-fetched because the spirit that brings life to dead situations is what lives inside of us and breathes inside of us. And when we look at this aspect now, we bring back to the body of Christ. We use that term a lot. But he doesn't say we are supposed to kind of be like the body of Christ or this is a metaphor that we would maybe represent a body. But he's saying you are the body of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, we are to bring the fullness of what Christ brought when he was here on earth. That we are here to bring the fullness of who Jesus was, that we would bring life to those situations around us that are dead. We would bring life to those who are around us who are struggling. And this wasn't just a metaphor, but when you look at what Jesus did, man, he changed that whole region. He was one guy. But that, yet when Jesus left, he said, it's going to be better for me to leave that I can give you the Holy Spirit. And can we say for us, it is better that Jesus is gone. Because the Holy Spirit's in the church. Because to me, it seemed like Jesus was getting a lot more done in that region than we are as a group here in Fort Palms alone. And that Jesus said, man, this will be better because you have the same spirit that raised him from the dead. This wasn't for a challenge that we couldn't do. It's him who was able to do way beyond what we could ever think. And he didn't just leave us with an encouraging word, but gave us his very spirit to live it out. But yet he said, just like he says, um, to Mary, he says, but, but would you believe? If we would just believe, we would see the glory of God. But do we believe this? Do we believe what Christ has done has been enough that he's commissioned us um, with his work? So there's two questions. Do we know what he's doing? I hope, in a general sense, we have an idea of that. It's not just to get us by or for us to wake up and do our quiet time, but it's to bring life to things that are dead. It, it, it's to change a city. It's to change a situation is what God's in the business of doing, and what has he deposited in us? Now, that can be more specific, and it really is, the more that we bring it to the Lord, but at a minimum, what every one of us can answer today is that God has deposited me the spirit of the living God to, to fulfill the work he has commissioned me to do. But as we wrap this up, and we will finish up with verse 21, but going back to our football analogy, at some point, too, we've got to get off the bench, because God isn't just doing this work around us, but he's doing it through us, and he's doing it in us. I want to look at 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. You, therefore, must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we know what God's put in us, and we embrace his will, we get off the bench, it's going to be hard. It's going to be good, it's going to be worth it, and he's going to fulfill it. But we will, we must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him, who enlisted him as a soldier. And another question for us today that I've been contemplating a lot the last couple of days is do I really believe that my only purpose here on earth is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? It's nothing else. That my only purpose is to fulfill the commission that he's given me. Now, by doing that, I know that I would be a good husband, I would be a good friend, I'd be a good father someday, but that my only real purpose, my primary focus is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we talk about 
a football analogy. And that's my maybe cute analogy on the side. But the, but the word of God gives us this description. And if a soldier doesn't know the purpose of an army, and the soldier doesn't know what he's supposed to fulfill, not only does that put his life in jeopardy, but it puts the life of those around him in jeopardy. And that us as the body of Christ, this isn't just about, about our self-help or how we can do better, but it's so important as the body that we would know what God's called us to do, that we would join to be a part of that, and that his grace will be sufficient in showing us um, what these things are, but that our, our primary focus and our only focus would be to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that I don't know if you can imagine someone in the, in the line of fire in, in an army that they would be sitting down trying to watch Netflix. I just can't see that. I don't know about you guys, but I can't see people wanting to do that when they're at war because what's in front of them is so serious, it's so important, it's urgent. But so oftentimes, being a soldier of Jesus Christ is the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh thing on our list, and we're not a soldier at all. But yet we'll see in Ephesians 6, this is what, what um, this, this book is going to continue to strive. That number one, um, Johnny's repeated this over and over. But chapter one, that where we are called out as the body of Christ. And chapter two, that we're a family. And chapter three, it starts to describe the mystery of God that we're closing out today. Chapter four, that we're a team. Chapter five, that we're a bride. And chapter six, that we're an army. That this will be fitting in very good here soon. That we are, we are called to be an army together um, of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 21, as we begin to close. He says, To him be the glory of the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. How is God going to have his glory? It says in the church. By Jesus Christ. The church has been commissioned to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world, the principalities, and the powers. That God would have his glory by the power that he has, that he's able to raise people from the dead, but that he puts in us and he fulfills through us. And that's how God would receive his glory. God's not going to receive his glory because we hope and wish and we really want things to happen. But he'll receive his glory when the body of Christ becomes the body of Christ that she is supposed to be. And I know I've probably said this a couple of times already, but one of the final questions we have for today, we all have questions. But do we believe this? Do we really believe this? Because that's what Jesus said. He said, if you would only believe that I not say that you would see the glory of God. And that if we kind of believe or we hope and wish, that's not faith. But Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The first thing we have to do is we have to believe he's able. And that's what this scripture starts with. Now, he is able. It's not about us. It's about how able he is. As he increases, our deficiencies will decrease because our eyes will be on Christ. The first thing that we have to do is to believe that he is. But what's really interesting about the scripture, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And for those of you who were here last Sunday night, Jamie had a word about partial obedience or partial faith isn't something that God is pleased with. In fact, it's rebellion in the fact it's sin. That if we kind of think he might do this, or we kind of think this might happen, or we have a hoping and wishing, or we're just trying to do it because we think we can do it, that's not just God's kind of putting up with it. It says that it's impossible to please him with something like that. But in faith, it says in faith that he can, he can do these things. And we have to believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if any of these questions are challenging today as they were for me, I know by God's grace, if I diligently seek him in faith, he will reward that. That it's not that we've got to figure this out today. But will we find repentance? 
where we look to Christ in faith and let him start to pull these things out of us. Because the scripture, it's funny because it's pretty unrelated to this, but that was over and over today or, or this week was the parable of the sower. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with this parable, but there was seed that got um, thrown on the wayside and the birds came and ate it up. Then there was seed that was thrown on the stones and it grew at first, but it had no depth and the, and the plant died. Then he threw some in, in another um, area of soil that had weeds. And the weeds choked up the seed, and it bore no fruit. But the final ground that, that the seed was fell on, it produced fruit. And see, the only way, I believe it's in Habakkuk, he talks about breaking up the fallow ground. I don't know if you've ever tried to plant any seed or, or flowers on, on ground that was hard and it had no life. It just isn't going to work. You can water it all you want. You can stomp on it all you want and pray for it all you want. It's not going to grow because the ground's dead. In the same way for us, sometimes we can read the word all this, let's spend all this time reading the word all this time in our own strength, but we never take this time to step back and to find repentance because repentance is the only thing that breaks up that ground. Reading the word without repentance is like throwing the seeds on the um, weeds. It may grow up and it may look good for a year, two years, maybe five years, but eventually without repentance, that, that um, plant's going to get eaten up. It won't last but repentance will break up that foul ground. God will use repentance by his grace through faith to allow that seed to take root in our heart and produce fruit. So, so oftentimes I believe we're struggling um, with discouragement. Like, Man, I'm just not producing fruit. And our, our um, effort or our, our solution to that is to try harder. But God is just saying, man, when we repent, when we seek for his grace, when we have this faith that believes that he's able to do the impossible, that we really believe he who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to what he's put in us, when we believe that. And when we haven't believed that, when we find repentance and ask God to give us the faith and give us the strength to really believe that and to put our hope in that. And just a side note that I thought was interesting is this is exceedingly and abundantly. We keep talking about in the Greek. It's one word, and it reminds me of like a little kid that would say, this is super duper, extra, super awesome. That's basically what he's saying. There's no English word that really translates to this because it's not proper English. Paul is saying he is able to do beyond, infinity beyond, what you could ever even pray or what you could ever even think if you are willing to believe that he's able to do that and if you're able to believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that is in us today. So as we close up, um, we have communion um, to take today as well as an offering. Um, so if we could start to gather up um, our people for the offering. And our worship team can start to take the stage. But there's three things that we've already said that I just want to reiterate. This one is lordship. We talked about uh, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The only place to start is to really ask ourselves, have I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have I really committed that I would deny myself and pick up my cross daily to follow him? Because without the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we have no foundation. We're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and, and, and we will be like um, the seed in the weeds. So my first question is that we, if we never have, would really reconcile our heart. Have I stepped into a lordship relationship with Jesus Christ? My life is no longer my own, but it's his. The second thing, maybe we've done that, and like myself this week found, that I'm, I'm in need, need of some repentance of my faith. That I'm more hoping and wishing than I do biblical faith. And the third thing would be revelation. 
that we would really be hungry for revelation from God. And if we're not hungry, we would pray to be hungry. We ask God to be giving us that hunger that we would be, be striving for the revelation that can only come from Him. So if we want to bring up the, the offering. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much um, for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Father, according to the power that works in us. God, and I just pray, Father, for us here this morning, Lord, who have, have things in our life that are dead, Lord, that are um, taken captive or oppressed, God, that you can bring life to those, Lord, that you want to do that by your grace and by your spirit, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this offering, God, that we would steward this money well, God, and people would give um, out of a, a willing heart, or nothing would be given out of obligation, God, that, that if that's a heart, Lord, it's better not to give, God, but that we would give willingly, Lord, because of, of what you've done, God, and wanting to invest in your kingdom, Lord. So, God, I thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, and I pray that you'll bless this offering. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. And as we're taking up offering, um, we've got our communion on both sides here. You guys can step out in the aisle, um, grab some, just walk around this way back to your seats. Um, now I'll open us in some prayer, um, kind of as a benediction for um, the communion. But I want to go back to this lordship piece real quick. You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it talked about people who, who were, weren't believers or were abusing communion. They were getting sick, and then some were even dying. And that before we come up, to take communion this morning, that, that that lordship peace in our heart would be reconciled. That would be something we have peace with, that I have come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that I want to partake in his blood um, and his body here together. Um, and if that's something you have a question on or makes you a little bit nervous, I know I'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that and answer any questions that you may have. Uh, but I want to pray over this, and after I get done praying, you guys are free to come down the aisle, um, take the communion, and, and take it together with family or whatever you'd like to do. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to partake of your blood, Lord, and take your, partake of your body. Jesus said on that last supper, Lord, you said, this is my body, Lord, which will be broken for you. Lord, that you shed your blood, God, and this, this aspect of stepping into your will, Lord, is not just um, something that's good to do, Lord, but something you paid for. God, something that you've laid down in your life, Father. So I pray, Lord, as we take this bread, God, it would be in remembrance of the body that was broken for us in Jesus Christ, Lord, and, and also... Um, the cup, Lord, that it will be represented, representing, Lord, the blood that was spilt for us, God, on that day, Lord, that, that the blood of Christ that was poured out, God, for the atonement of our sins, Lord, that we could be partakers with you. Jesus, and I pray, God, that you bless this time of communion, Lord, and bless our time together, Father, in remembering on what Jesus Christ has done for us in the cross. Lord, so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.